today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A very, very contentious issue. I mean, we've seen some of the tragic videos of what's been happening in the United States uh, with uh, the, the shooting of, of black men by police officers and charges laid in some of those situations. Uh, it has really reignited the debate about wearing body cameras. And uh, it's something that's been going off and on for years and years uh, in both countries, both in Canada and the United States. Uh, I can tell you in the Hamilton area, for instance, uh, they're going to take another run at this uh, tomorrow. The Hamilton Police Services Board will meet, no, it's this afternoon, I'm sorry, uh, at uh, later on this afternoon, a virtual meeting with Hamilton Police Services. One of the things on the agenda is a pilot project for wearing uh, body cams. Uh, they've had mixed results in the past, and I, I know in Toronto they've tried to implement this. And, well, a couple of Toronto officers have... Well, this opinion of it. We're always on cameras with cell phones, which may not show the full picture, but having the body-worn camera provides both angles, as well as any misconduct by an officer. In the end, I don't think it's going to solve everyone's problems. You know, we have a lot of challenges we're dealing with right now with systemic issues. No one denies that. And this is one piece of the puzzle. Uh, one piece of the puzzle, uh, and the other hand, of course, is, uh, well, what about the shortcomings on this? It's not a black and white issue. It's not a simple issue to try to make a determination uh, on, which is why this should be an interesting debate, as it has been in other communities. Joining us to uh, give some uh, insight into this is uh, Eric Laming. Eric is a Ph.D. candidate in criminology at the University of Toronto. Eric, thank you for joining us. It's great to have you on the program today. Yeah, thanks for having me on the program. Well, it's front and center again in many cities because of this. Uh, and, and as I was just saying in my introduction here, uh, there are advocates and there are people who don't think it's right, but there seems to be a hue and cry within the community right now that these have to be used by police officers. Is it a justified uh, request at this stage? Well, it all depends. I mean, in the Canadian context, uh, as you mentioned, we don't really have too much research that, that has shown that they're effective just because many police services haven't, piloted them or evaluated them. So we can only look at other uh, countries or jurisdictions to kind of borrow what what they've done there. And I mean, is it going to solve the problems of, you know, police misconduct or, you know, police use of force in certain communities? Probably not. It might provide more context in, in some of those cases. But, you know, we have to have kind of lower expectations on, on what the cameras may produce at the end. I, I I can only do this anecdotally because obviously you know we haven't used them in Hamilton, but I you know I, I, you see the stuff on TV and of course you know you have dashboard cams, you have uh, police cams, you know body cams on the police, uh, and and I, I guess the best way to characterize it really, uh, Eric, is that you get mixed results and, and I think mixed reviews on this as to how effective they can be. I mean you know we're told sometimes they don't work properly, uh, that's a concern. The one that I've always had a concern with. Uh, is uh, you don't get a panoramic view usually with those cameras. It's it's really kind of a tunnel vision view, and you don't see the whole picture. Just so you know, perspective matters in situations like this, doesn't it? Hundred percent, and a great point. And, and that's something that a lot of I think a lot of the community members don't really realize. We're getting the narrative from the police that it's you know it's an objective piece of evidence or whatnot, but it really isn't. It's on it's, it's on the chest or you know the body of the police officer. So you're only getting that view, that perspective. Like you said, you don't get that 360 degree angle where like a drone might give you that, or you know a dash cam kind of gives you a little bit more broader mm-hmm. perspective. But I mean, a body camera it's open to interpretation too. So I mean, one video is going to produce different interpretations. You could have a different interpretation than I would of the same video, and that can play kind of largely into an investigation or even the court process. I, I can still remember, and I'm trying to think of the the, the details about this, but it was a, a confrontation between a man and, and a couple of officers who were responding. It was on a cul-de-sac in some American city. And you looked at the body cam from the officer that actually fired the shots at this individual, and you'd say, 
Mm, okay, uh, that sort of looks justified. But then they show the the body cam from the other officer who was approaching from about a thirty five degree angle to his left. Totally different picture about what was going on at that particular time. And I understand those are two pieces of evidence, but it just goes to show if that officer was the only one that had responded, we only would have had one perspective on this. Exactly, and that's that's something that's kind of that's concerning or maybe fearful in those situations. If you only have that one video, I mean, you know, who's making the decisions? Who's going to even see that video if, if it never goes to the public as well? Because that's another issue that, you know, in the U.S., it's so different than here in Canada is that if there's a police officer shooting, if there's video evidence, usually that's going to be released right away because the police service kind of wants to just put it out there and say, you know, you know, back away from it. This is the problem. We fired the officer, you know, whatnot. But in Canada, we have a due process. We have privacy laws. So if there's an officer involved shooting, for example, in Hamilton and it's caught, caught on camera, that's got to go through the SIU. That could take months to maybe a year or more. And then even then after that, if, if the case if there's no charges in it, will we even be privy to that video where the public ever see it? So, I mean, there's a lot of issues that we just don't know down the road, too. You're raising a very interesting point because we've had incidents in Hamilton, as you have in Toronto, and in just about every city, I guess, and sadly in one time or another. And it's the review process, I think, that's got an awful lot of people frustrated. Uh, they're thinking, as some people anyway are thinking, that, look, if you have these body cameras, uh, we'll immediately be able to see what happened and make our determination. Well, probably not, as you say, because of the, the setup that we have here in Canada. Uh, the public doesn't see that cam, that dash cam video or that that body cam video. Uh, it goes to the special investigations unit, and there's an investigation done, and they take way too long. We know that. I mean, we've had justices write reports about how, you know, it's, it's it's terrible because it's frustrating for the officers involved. It's frustrating for the victims and the families of the victims. But it's the process that we're stuck with, I guess, the way things are. And you're right. Depending on the determination the SIU makes, we still may never see that body camera v- footage. Exactly. And, and that's something that the community has to be mindful of. And that's why we have to keep our expectations pretty low or humble in that sense for if body cameras are widely deployed. But another issue, too, is what about just standard use of force uh, uh, instances where they it doesn't result in a serious injury or death. So would we ever even be privy to those videos? Because if somebody doesn't come forward and, and make a complaint or go to the media about it, I mean, it's the professional standards unit of that police service that's going to review that. Will they release it to the public? We don't know because we don't really know what the policies state. We don't know because we don't really have uh, long-term evidence or use of this in Canada. So there's a lot of use of force cases that don't go to the SIU or other oversight bodies that you know we, the public would just never know about, right? Which raises a, a valid question here, too. Who gets to see the video? Exactly, and that's as far as it is now, uh, for just a standard use of force procedure or an inc- incident, it'd be the professional, it'd be internal affairs. It'd be the police service looking at it, uh, supervisors who'd be determining whether it was justified, and then if there's any you know, disciplinary mechanism, they would, they would reprimand the officer internally. It, you know, We would have to kind of fight to really know why and what was the procedure for that, but I mean, for a lot of the cases, it's usually kind of, it's internally done, right? Which raises a, a whole series of other questions, and I, I think probably some frustration at the same time. Uh, you know, does the did the alleged victim have access to that video? Uh, do, do, can their legal representation have access to that video? Will they ever get to see that, or is that the property of the police services until such time as the SIU gets involved? It's a great point. Usually, it will depend on the police services policy on body cameras or. Uh freedom of information and it might uh, also be dictated by provincial or territorial legislation but in cases in in the u.s and a lot of jurisdictions you have to pay to get that footage so i don't know quite you know what it's going to be like in canada but if if you're you know technically if you're on video that's your property 
So you should be able to get that for free, but you would have to request it. And a lot of times you may be denied for it, depending on, you know, what the police, uh, their, their perspective on that incident might be. If it's a complaint, maybe they, you know, maybe your legal representative would have to contact to get access. But I, I remember this case in Calgary a few months back where a woman was um, kind of, you know, used a force case was uh, in, in her, happened in her house. She requested to get the video. She couldn't get the video. It was actually released in the media of a cell phone video of it. So, I mean, that's a body camera use of force that was caught on that. And the woman and her legal representative wouldn't even, they couldn't even get access to that video. So, I, they, I mean, they settled, I think, informally. But still, like, those bring up questions. And, you know, if they're going to be widely deployed, what's the procedure and how can we go about, you know, getting access to that? And that's going to be all in legislation and the, and the body camera policies. But we have to know, you know, how transparent are we going to be about seeing these body camera policies also? You're, you're raising a fascinating point about uh, logistics here, you know, because what we see on, you know, U.S. TV uh, is not necessarily the same as what we would see on, on Canadian TV, simply because of the difference in the laws here. Uh, you know, we could have a policy like this, but you have to layer that against, uh, you know, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, uh, privacy concerns and things of this nature, which may not play so much of a role in states as they would up here. Uh, which raises there, I guess, the most elementary question here. Uh, when does an officer, if you're going to use these, when do they turn it on and when do they turn it off? Yeah, another great point. So it's usually, I mean, it's it's, it's a discretion of the officer in most jurisdictions. So again, uh, body camera policy is going to dictate or provide guidelines of when an officer can activate or deactivate the camera. But in most cases, and this is consistent in most of the U.S. jurisdictions too, is that when an officer is dispatched to a call, so they'll go on their cruiser, they'll they'll activate their camera at that point. So it will catch everything going to the call. Once they're on the call, they are not to they're not to deactivate unless somebody uh, a citizen requests not to be uh, filmed. Um, because there's a lot of instances where you know you could be interviewing victims of crime, think about like sexual assault victims, uh, even uh, informants. Like there's a lot of these these kind of complexities where people might not want to be filmed, or if you're going into a private residence, you can request not to be filmed. So at though at though in those. Pl- cases then an officer can deactivate the camera but an officer is is required to you know write down in the notes or explain at some point why they deactivated deactivated the camera and in, in some cases if they don't uh provide that explanation they can be reprimanded or disciplined it just really depends on the police services policy yeah i was talking to a couple of officers about this a few years ago and so obviously we've done many shows about this over the years uh, and that was their recommendation. They said, look, it, you know, if you get called to, for instance, a domestic dispute and you're, you're actually going into somebody's house, it's probably the policy would be turn it off because there are some privacy issues there uh, that, you know, people may not want to have on record. And I, I, I suppose I can see that element of it. But we've also heard, uh, I'm sure all the, the background and research you've done on this, Eric, uh, sometimes those you know, so-called, you know, domestic disputes can escalate very quickly. And, you know, what, what does the officer do then? Say, hold it, just hold it a second, let me turn the camera on. I mean, you know, they, they're caught in a situation here. So there's there's no one policy that's going to be, you know, cover everything here because the, the, being a police officer is in itself a very fluid situation. Things change dramatically. Exactly, and great points. And that's the thing. You're going to catch people in the most vulnerable moments of their life, right? So... You know, you have to, as a police officer, you have to be aware of everything that's going on. And now you have another kind of tool on your on yourself, on your body, that you have to kind of balance that kind of transparency or accountability with what's going on in front of you. And like you said, every, everything's fluid. Everything goes very quickly. And the same thing with the like, use of force. I mean, that could happen in a matter of seconds, split-second decision, right? So if you're just out on the beat and the camera might not be on for whatever the reason, and somebody comes and attacks you, you're not going to be thinking, oh, i got to turn my camera on. Wait a second. Don't hurt me yet. 
or don't hit me, let me turn it on. Like that's that's not reality. That's not going to happen. The only the one you know security feature of, of the cameras though is that they do have a buffer. So if you forget to turn it on, you can you can activate it at at any point, and it will pick up the thirty seconds prior to an incident. It's kind of like a dash cam in that sense. But the problem with that is that most of the cameras don't have the audio feature. It only records video. So still, you're missing pieces of the puzzle. So if that goes to kind of the public, they're going to question, well, why don't we have you know that other piece? Why don't we have the full picture, the audio, and video? So I mean, these cameras aren't fail. They're not fail proof. They're you know it's they're, they're going to fail, and there's going to be problems down the road. And that's why I keep saying you know the public has to be really mindful and humble of these expectations of body camera you know deployment and adoption. Different jurisdictions have tried different uh, pilot projects. Uh, is there any place that you can put your finger on right now that says, yeah, this works, we're, we're happy with the program as it is? Uh, apparently Calgary says that they're happy, but again, you know, no, we don't really know. They haven't really come out with too much uh, data or uh, information about their, their, their program. I mean, they, they ran a pilot project way back in 2012, 2014. They liked it. They, they went through some procurement issues with trying to get cameras from a manufacturer they kind of they had to start from scratch. Then they they widely deployed them to to all frontline officers last year. So it's been a year. Um, we're still waiting on some numbers, some data, and they have they they keep coming out and saying, well, anecdotally, it's working. We're happy, blah blah blah. But I mean, there's been cases from uh, there was a case a few weeks ago of a, an indigenous man who was stopped by police, and he got access to his the video and said that it was a pure you know racially motivated incident. And he released that video to the public, and we don't really know anything else from it. So, I mean, there's all these cases where, again, it comes back to what I mentioned. that Are we ever going to be privy to all of these use-of-force cases that are caught on camera or all these police stops that might have some racial undertone? We don't know. Probably not. But, I mean, it's gonna, it's kind of up to the person, the complainant who's involved in that to go access that video and then release it to the public or to the media. But in terms of any other jurisdictions, I mean, there's some out east that apparently like them, but they're very, you know, they're only using very few cameras. They're like Fredericton Police, I think they're only using uh, 10 cameras or 20 cameras for all of its officers. So, I mean, there's only so many that are out there. And Calgary's really the only one that we can look at right now as, as the largest police service. And again, we're, we don't really have a full picture because we don't have the data. We don't have kind of statistical analysis that show, well, you know, use of force has gone down or complaints have gone down. Like something that's hard evidence that they can provide to us that just hasn't been given to the public or, or the media yet. I got about a minute left. There's one other element of the conversation I think we have to include here before we finish off. Uh, you know, we can d- debate back and forth about the efficacy, and I'm not saying pro or con. I think there's some pros and some cons to this that need to be considered. Uh, one of them, though, is the cost. This is this is not a cheap exercise. Of course not, and that's a, that's a major concern. And you know, Hamilton's been very due dil- they've been doing their due diligence. I give them credit um, because they've been very transparent from the start. Like back in 2014, when they started looking at this, they've been transparent. Said this is how much it costs. We're not trying to to, to kid anybody. And, and it, it's really difficult when you have this narrative from all the defund or divestment exactly. advocates, right? How, what does that tell people when, oh, okay, yeah, we're going to we'll listen to you, but then we're going to go and spend $30 million on cameras for over five years. And this is a recurring cost. That's just going to keep you know increasing every five years because you sign into contracts with these manufacturers, and you're stuck with that. And we don't even know the unintended co- cost of this long term. So how, how many other positions would, we might have to employ and, and pay to go through footage, redaction, freedom of information, you know, what about the court system? I mean, sure, it's going to be streamlined, but at the same time, it can take months just to review a couple videos, right? We just know that. So there's a lot of issues that we just we just don't know about right now, and the costs are, are, are one concern that's, I would say, paramount. 
Well, we'll see what happens at the uh, Police Services Board meeting later on today here in Hamilton. But, uh, I, I, Eric, I want to lean on you again but later, a little bit later on because obviously there are going to be some ramifications to this. And even if they do decide on the pilot project, uh, the rollout's going to have its concerns too. I really do appreciate you uh, joining us today, though. Thanks for the time. For sure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Take it. Take care. Eric Laming, of course, PhD candidate in criminology at uh, the University of Toronto. Body cams, and we'll certainly uh, be following that story uh, about uh, how Pl- Hamilton Police Services are going to deal with that, and uh, other services I know are lo- watching with great interest to see how it's going to happen. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.